Oh my gosh, man, it's so good to see you guys. Happy birthday. It's a big deal. Man, hey, uh, let me just start by being really honest with you. Um, I kind of both physically and spiritually felt like I limped into today. Uh, I got in a crazy bike wreck about three weeks ago and like broke my shoulder and got a bad concussion. And it's just been physically difficult. And on top of the physical stuff, I've just been sad. And I I felt a little bit dry. I've not really been encountering the presence of the Lord like I want to encounter his presence. And being here with you guys today is a gift to my soul because I actually feel lifted up by hearing your prayers and seeing your faces and singing these songs about the gospel with you. So I hope by God's grace I could serve you guys a little bit. But just know you're sending me home with fresh fuel in my tank. You're sending me home with renewed joy and renewed hope and prayers that are kind of like welling up for my community. So thanks for letting me be a part of this. Thanks for letting me be here. Um, Like Tim said, like I, I wouldn't cross the street for like a guest speaking gig. I just don't do that. But I love partnering in the gospel with people that I love that I wanna grow old with. And so we do love your church and we do love the Kimberleys and we love your leadership community and we do pray for you. And it's not lost on me that it's a really sacred thing to get to stand up here and celebrate this birthday anniversary with you. So uh, if you have a Bible, let's start finding Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians three is in the New Testament. If you're new to your Bible, it's a letter that a guy named the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the city of Ephesus. And uh, if you need to use the table of contents to find it, that's not cheating. You don't need to be embarrassed about that. This is a beautiful letter that helps frame up what the church is. And I want to say just a couple of things briefly before we read this text and pray together. Like, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey. And I hope you didn't walk in here feeling like you're limping. I hope you're really happy and feeling a lot of joy. And I hope you're encountering the presence of God on the daily. But I also know in a room this size, there's a lot of us that feel really needy and really messy in this moment. I know that not all of our marriages are going well and not all of our jobs are doing well. I know that there's a lot of us that are dealing with anxiety and depression. I know that a lot of us are feeling really lonely in this season. I know that the wrestle with addiction is real and it's hard and sometimes it feels like the claws of whatever it is that is trying to own you are so deep that you can't get away from it. And what I want you to know is whatever you believe today, whether you love Jesus and follow Jesus, whether you were raised in the church and you became a Christian as a little kid and you've never departed from him, or whether you got hurt in the church and you've walked away and you did a really brave thing in showing up today and being vulnerable, wherever you're at in your faith journey, God's actually not overwhelmed by your needs. He's actually the kind of God that delights in bringing the fullness of who he is towards your needs. And what's so crazy about the good news of the gospel is that God's not calling people that figure out life on their own and that are really good moral people that can sort of point to the track record of their own goodness. He's not looking for people like that. He's looking for people that can actually take a sober assessment of how needy they are and how messy they are and actually come with humble dependence into his presence through the work of Jesus. And so God actually, this is the crazy thing about who he is, he actually knows you more deeply than you know yourself. He sees where you're banged up more than you see where you're banged up, and he still says he wants you. He loves you, and the living God actually wants to make himself known to you. And this faith that we're celebrating, the whole point of planting this church is not just to know more about God intellectually, although that's good. The whole point of planning this church is because God wants the people in this community to actually encounter the power of the resurrection. 
that Jesus is alive and he loves you and he's going after you. And whether you believe in him or not, he actually has good things in his heart for you and it's his desire to chase you down so that you can be a part of his family and have a seat at his table. So Father, thank you so much that uh, we may feel like our needs are overwhelming and we may feel like if anybody actually knew us, they would reject us but you are the one that knows us more than we know ourselves and you still want us. And so I pray as we open up this text today and just briefly look at your vision for the church, I pray today that you would answer those two big questions that we really need answers for. The question of identity, who am I? And the question of purpose, why am I here? Lord, we need answers and our culture doesn't have answers for those two questions. Our political process doesn't have answers for those two questions. Not even education has answers for those two questions. We need those questions to be answered by our creator and by our redeemer. So help us today, we pray, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Hey, so let me read this text to you. This is one of the most crazy, mind-blowing, baffling texts in the New Testament to me. Here's what God says through the Apostle Paul. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Paul writes, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Hey, uh, so wherever, whatever your relationship is with this church today, whether you're a member and you're plugged in and you've been a part of this since the beginning, or whether you're a guest today, what God's doing in this text is he's actually trying to answer those two deep questions. The question of identity, who am I? And the question of purpose, why am I here? He's actually trying to answer those questions both individually and together by reflecting on what the church actually is. And I want to point out three things in this text because the three things that I think Paul's highlighting are actually really beautiful, amazing, life-changing truths for individuals and for groups of people called the church. So let me give you three things to think about. First of all, this church, not just the capital C church and other churches, but this new church, one year in with all the beautiful things and all the messy things, this church is actually a sermon God is preaching. That's crazy to me. Here's what Paul says. So the, through the church, verse 10, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is super weird. Here's what's happening. Paul is actually saying that God is proclaiming something about his wisdom, his character, and his nature to angels and demons. Those are rulers and principalities. Those are powerful created beings that we can't see that nonetheless affect human affairs and shape history. These are beings that if you saw them, you'd be tempted to run in terror or to worship wrongly. 
They're created beings, but mighty beings. And what Paul is saying is that the church is this crazy sermon in which God is pointing to his people gathered and scattered who are called by his name. And he's saying to these powerful created beings, look at that. That shows you what I'm like. This is crazy because I planted a church like Tim planted this church with a team of people. I planted a church in Oklahoma City in 2005. And if you're a church planner, you have this snapshot, you have this like mental Polaroid in your head of what the church you're going to plant will look like. And I can honestly say 15 years into the church planning journey, the church I planted hasn't looked like my snapshot for even an hour. Okay, the church I lead is beautiful, and I love it, and there's people that I adore, and there's no other place I'd rather live, and we are a hot mess. Every Monday of my life, I wake up fantasizing about being like a game warden, okay? Like a job where I don't have to deal with people, and there's more animals than humans. Like, I wake up on Mondays, and I'm like, what am I doing? These people are so difficult. And then you have these wonderful, encouraging folks that send you emails, pointing out all the ways that you said dumb things on Sunday. And it's like, you wake up on Mondays as a pastor, and you want to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians because the Corinthian church is like the only church in the history of the world that's more screwed up than the church I'm a part of. I can point to the Corinthian church and be like, oh, man, at least we don't have those fools in our church. Because here's the truth, man. There is no such thing as a perfect church on this side of heaven. And if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. The church on this side of heaven is marked by fragility. It's marked by weakness and sin and hypocrisy and failures and messiness and neediness. And in all of that drama, not When Jesus returns and the church is perfected and glorified and without sin, but now in the messy middle of history, with all of our bumps and bruises, with all of our wrinkles and warts, God points at the church and he's saying as he points at the church, that actually shows you what I'm like. That reveals my nature and my character and my intention and my purpose See, here's the truth, man. Like, this church is profoundly beautiful. It's healthy, man. I, I work with church planners all over the world, and for this church to be where it is one year in, you guys should be celebrating like crazy. But even in the midst of your health, also, there's a lot of mess in here, right? We're tempted to kind of team up against each other. We're tempted to gossip. We're tempted to be critical. We're tempted to judge. We're tempted to be consumers. And yet God is pointing at Sacred Mission Church, not Sacred Mission Church as she will be once we get to heaven, but Sacred Mission Church in 2020, terrible, horrific 2020, 2020 that was invented to be a meme. God is pointing at this church right now in history, and he's saying this reveals my character. Now, we have to ask the question, how is that even possible? How is it? that a sinful group of people like you and me with all of our messes and all of our needs can point to the glory of God. Well, that leads to the second thing. This church is not just a sermon God's preaching, but this church is about the grace of God. And you've probably heard the word grace. You might have been raised in the church and walked away from the church, and grace can become just sort of a theological buzzword that doesn't really mean anything to us. But grace is at the very heartbeat of what the church is. Look at verse 7. Paul says, of this gospel, which elsewhere he calls the gospel of God's grace, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, 
which was given me, Paul, by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Here's what he's saying. He's doing some really beautiful math with grace. Here's what he's saying. Like, first the grace came to Paul through the gospel. And what you got to understand is that Paul was not a really good guy that God needed to recruit for his squad, right? Paul is a towering figure in the Christian faith. Like, he wrote tons of the New Testament. He planted churches all over the ancient world. He was martyred in his service of Jesus. And we can start to think that Paul was like this saint who was so godly and awesome that God was like, man, we would be stupid to not recruit this guy. But here's the truth. Before Paul was a Christian, he was a religious Pharisee and a terrorist who hated Jesus with all of his heart. He actually wanted to take Christian families and break them up and throw moms and dads in jail to have Christians beaten and persecuted and even killed because he was such an enemy of the church of Jesus Christ. He was arrogant. He was angry. He was violent. He was vile. His heart was hard and cold. He was prideful and he was arrogant. And God, despite all of that, came towards this man named Saul and he rescued him because of his mercy, not because of his worth in himself. God pursued this enemy and he made this enemy his friend because of the grace of the gospel. Now listen, like that might not be your story. You might not have been that radical in your wickedness, but if you're a Christian, it's because of the grace of God. It's the love of God that's been given to you through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. It's a new status that's been gifted to you. It's not something that you earned or that you achieved or that you figured out. It's something that God gets all the credit and glory for. He made you a son or a daughter by adoption through grace in Jesus Christ. And what that means, friends, listen, is like the church is not a personality type. <laughs> There's not like a type of Christian. Christians are not people that inherit their faith from their moms and dads like blue eyes. Christianity is formed by the grace of God in which God goes after his enemies and he makes them his friends through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul doesn't stop there. It doesn't, it's not just the grace that Paul received. Paul tells us that he received the grace to go after the Gentiles and to bring to light for everyone the riches of God's mercy in Jesus. So here's what Paul is saying. His grace chased me down. And now because of his grace chasing me down, my job is to go after the Gentiles who are the religious outsiders, people that had no claims on the God of Israel, that had no claims on the Mosaic covenant, people that worshiped the sun and the moon and the stars and all kinds of false gods and did all kinds of wicked things, people that were opposed to God and hated God and were dead in their ignorance Paul is saying that the gospel of grace that grabbed him, he's now sent to go share with other people who are outside of God's family. And not only then, to just sort of like blow up any objections like, well, maybe there's some people that are disqualified from being made God's friends. Paul then adds, oh yeah, and to everyone. See, track with me. The church of Jesus Christ is a sermon that God is preaching to angels and principalities because it shows the universe the mercy of the living God. 
And I just want to say, like, there's some of you in this room that don't actually believe that God's grace is sufficient for you. You might think, oh, that works for other people. God might love them, but God couldn't love me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how I think. And what this text is actually saying is that God has the power in his son Jesus to cover you, to forgive you, to shower his mercy on you, to give you an inheritance, a future, and a hope. He knows you and he wants you. He knows you and he wants you. And this church that is in this community exists to preach that grace to rural Iowa, to help people know that God is for them in Jesus. And what's so beautiful about that is that that also dismantles our religious pride because nobody gets to walk into the presence of the living God and say, I earned this. If that's you today, you're called to be humbled before God, to know that you need a savior, you need forgiveness. So maybe it's shame that you hear right now, like God couldn't love me. Or maybe it's guilt that you hear right now. If God gave me what I deserved, I'd get hell or judgment Or maybe it's pride that you hear right now. Well, other people need that. I don't need that. I'm basically a good person. The church is a sermon God is preaching because the church is formed by mercy, by God's patience and his love that is embodied in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that leads to the last thing, finally. This church is not only a sermon God is preaching, and it's not only formed and sustained by grace, but this church is also centered on Christ. What Sacred Mission Church is about is very simple. It's complex and profound in its beauty and depth, but it's simple in its aim. Look at verse 8. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The church, when it's healthy, is centered on Jesus. It's a storehouse of the riches of God in Jesus. In Jesus, all the wisdom of God resides, the beauty, the holiness, the splendor, the mercy. Jesus perfectly reflects the fullness of the living God. And the church, when she is functioning as she's meant to function, is not about just good causes and just good deeds. The church is about Jesus. Jesus is the center, and Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is the hope. He's what makes the church special. And I just want you to get this. Like, Jesus being the treasure of sacred mission is not like being a cult of people that sort of study the writings of Abraham Lincoln and try to emulate him as a good dead guy. The church being centered on Jesus is recognizing that Jesus is alive, and through the Holy Spirit, he's actually here. Jesus being the treasure of this church means there is actually hope for you, spirit, soul, and body in his cross and resurrection. It means death doesn't get the last word on you. It means anxiety doesn't get the last word on you. It means poverty doesn't get the last word on you. It means sin and death and judgment don't get the last word on you. Being centered on Jesus means that the very presence, power, and authority of Jesus is what is the ultimate controlling reality of our lives. And there's nobody in this community that's so far gone, that's so religious and opposed to God because of their rituals that, think, that make them think that they've earned something. And there's nobody that's so irreligious and opposed to God or eaten up by skepticism that the power of Jesus can't come after them and meet them. 
Jesus is alive and Jesus is here and Jesus is real. And the reason this church is special is not because Tim came up with the perfect strategy. Hey, I think Tim Kimberly is one of the most brilliant people I know and he's great at strategy. But the reason this church is special is because Jesus is the center of it. Jesus is actually here through the Holy Spirit to meet with you today, to give you renewed hope and fresh forgiveness. And if you've never trusted in him, like he's pointing to the scars in his hands and he's inviting you to trust him, that his work is sufficient, that you can rest, that you can breathe. So, Father, I thank you for this church. Thank you that a year in, not when this church is fully formed in 10 years or 20 years, um, not even after they're finished finding their own building. Those are things that are going to happen in the future according to your plan and according to your timing. But right now in the beginning, first year in, fragile and new, without everything figured out, this church is beautiful because it's a sermon you're preaching about your grace pointing to the treasure of Jesus. So I pray that you would give my friends renewed hope and renewed joy in their mission. Thank you that it is a sacred mission to make Christ known in this community. And thank you, Jesus, that's not a mission we do for you. That's a mission we do with you. And with nobody looking around for just a second, I just want to say, like, the living God is inviting some of you to trust in Christ today. To stop running, to stop thinking that you'll come to him once you clean yourself up. That's not the gospel. There's some of you that simply need to surrender and receive the gift of his grace and trust in Jesus. You could do that today. We'd love to pray with you about that today. There's some of you that feel like you're dying on the inside and you need to not buy into the lie that if you told anybody you'd be outed or you'd be marked, you need to actually tap in Jesus's body to love you and to stand with you and to pray for you. Maybe Jesus wants to start bringing some healing to your marriage just because you're willing to humble yourself and let people in. You don't have to have it all figured out to be a part of this church. That's the center of this church. It's grace. It's that we can't figure it out without God and without each other. We need one another and we need God. So as we end today, in just a minute, like we're going to eat together. We're going to celebrate. We're going to party because a one-year birthday is awesome. But if you need to encounter the power of the living Jesus, would you tap in somebody in this room to pray with you? So Father, thank you for my friends. Would you bless them and would you keep them? And would you let this church continue to make the riches of Jesus Christ known in this community and beyond? Thank you, amen.